tell you what you're listening to welcome to father simon says on relevant radio with father richard simon i'm here to answer your questions have a question give us a call 1-888-914-9149 that's any question you may have about the lord the faith and the church that's 1-888-914-9149 this is in fact a radio show called father simon says on relevant radio Happy New Year. All right. With that said, let's move on to prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations. By the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, well, let's open the big book on the coffee table. Let's jump, jump, just jump right into it. Okay, where did I put the reading? I moved ahead. Okay, I'm not jumping into it here. Okay, Monday. Yes, it's a good, the voice might say, good way to start. Didn't take long to get confused. That's true. All right, this is First John, the first letter of St. John. And I maintain that uh, there are a lot of scholars, real scholars, who want to say, no, no, different guy wrote the book of Revelation, different guy wrote the gospel, different guy wrote the letters. I really think they're all the same guy. I really do. I think the language is consistent enough, um, especially between the gospel and the letters. Um, I've shared that um, uh, my theory on the gospel of John is that it's written to the disciples of John the Baptist. Now, let's we're going to have two different Johns here, so I don't want to confuse you. We've got John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Christ, killed by Herod one of the sons of Herod the Great. And um, then we have John, the beloved disciple. So I will call them John the Baptist and John, the beloved disciple. So this, the John, the beloved disciple had been a disciple of John the Baptist. Remember that, that, that uh, John the Baptist clearly says to his followers, among whom uh, John, the beloved disciple was one, uh, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Um, he must increase, I must decrease. In other words, this is the Messiah. I'm not. And in the second to the last chapter of the Gospel of John, we read, These things have been written that you might know that Jesus is the Christ. Now, that means Jesus is the Messiah. When you see the word Christ, that's another word you got to get out of your, your brain and put in Messiah. The Messiah means the anointed one or the chosen one. So, uh, Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, I think a lot of people think that Christ is his last name. No, it's not. It's it's his title. He's the Messiah. So, 
the vocabulary of the Gospel of John is very different from the the vocabulary of the first three Gospels. The first three Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels, which uh, is a Greek word meaning to look the same. Well, not the same, but to look together. Syn means with and ups, up, uh, that OPS thing, that means look. So the Synoptic Gospels are the we can call them the the similar or the 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 lookalike gospels or the gospels to be seen together um the gospel of john is completely different he has a completely different vocabulary that's i believe because he is addressing one of the groups that was very different from uh the judeans that that word judean in scripture is usually translated jew but it was someone who's part of the the Judean uh, community and culture, whereas the the Dead Sea sectaries had left the Judean community behind, and they believed that the temple was corrupt, the um, uh, priesthood was corrupt, and the monarchy was corrupt, and that the Messiah, the Anointed One, would would reform all three of them, and that's what's going on in the Gospel of John. Now he continues to use this this kind of. Uh, um, obscure language uh, we read in the first the first reading today beloved do not trust every spirit many false prophets have gone out into the world the idea of prophecy uh, prophecy and i've shared this again with you prophecy isn't uh, about predicting the future so much as it is seeing the reality of the present um, and I, I mean it in a spiritual sense um, I love to refer to uh, Roy Shulman's book, uh, Honey from the Rock, which tells the story of his conversion. And Roy Shulman, um, who was Jewish, had a, a visionary experience in which he says that the veil between this world and the unseen, unseeable world, uh, the invisible world, was was made transparent to him and very much involved the Blessed Mother. And I think you have to understand prophecy in that light. Uh, we read in, I think it's the first book of Samuel, that that uh, the seer came, because that is what prophets were called in, in, in former times. They were seers. They could see. And we think of the world in which we live as all so solid and real. You know, people talk about well, the real world. You know, religion is fine, but you got to live in the real world. On the contrary, this world, which is visible and touchable and smellable and hearable, all those other ables, it isn't the real world. The real world is this dynamic world of 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 spiritual realities. It's this world of of energy and light and and uh, and 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 of angels and of unfortunately demons. So this idea of um, a spiritual world and, and prophets. Well, prophets uh, they had kind of gone out of fashion after the return of of the of the jews and i think the word is well used there after the return of the jews from babylon those few who did return and you know that it was just you know you follow the rules and you the religion is good stuff and you you don't eat pork and you go to the temple and you know you live in this 
very visible religious reality. And we're incarnate creatures. We, we have to live in this visible reality, but it's not the only reality in which we live. So the, the, the sectaries and, and the, um, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, all that sort of thing, they talked about this apocalyptic battle, and they talked about the spiritual realm, the spiritual world, and John just continues doing that. And he talks about light and he talks about spirits that have gone out. So well, let's get to the text itself, because this text is so this is so it's not easy to understand. And it's so very important. We receive from him whatever we ask. We do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> well, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. This is a, a, a very direct quote from the Gospel of John. I always do what pleases him. I mean, look that up. I forgot to look that up. Okay. That is in the Gospel of John. I think it's in the 8th or ninth chapter. Um, we will find it in just a moment. Okay. It's John 8.29. Jesus says, He who has sent me has not left me alone. For I always do what pleases him. In other words, Jesus is most concerned about pleasing the Father. If you can speak about Jesus this way, the secret of his success was he played to an to an audience of one. You know, I complain about theatricality in our religion, that we are religious uh, in the liturgy and outside the liturgy so often because, well, people are watching. You know, your religion, I've heard it said, is what you do when no one is watching you. That's your religion, what you do when no one is watching you. Well, it's very hard not to be, not to play to the audience. Well, Jesus, as I said, if we can speak about him this way, played to an audience of one. He was only concerned about what the Father thought of him. And therein lies his, his, great, um, his great strength. Uh, that that uh, I, don't, I don't do what's pleasing the Lord. In, in the controversies in which we live in our times, no matter what side of the controversy you are on, you must ask yourself the question, am I doing this to please myself? Am I doing this to please the people around me? Or am I doing this because I genuinely love and want to please the Father? This to me is the great question of the spiritual life. You know, people um, argue about this hymn and that hymn, and I'm one of those people, of course. But uh, do I want this hymn or that chant or this style of, of doing things because it's pleasing to God? Well, of course it's pleasing to God. My way of doing it is more pleasing to God than your way of doing it. How do you know that? What is pleasing? The question that we got to ask ourselves is, what is pleasing to the Father? You know, not what is my preference? What do I like? What is pleasing to the Father? So, uh, um, uh, let's see, um, the way we know that, um, well, his commandment is this, and this is again a repetition of, of, of the gospel of John. When the Pharisees asked, I think it was the Pharisees asked Jesus, what is the work of God? And Jesus said, the work of God is to believe in the one whom God has sent. Well, that sounds easy. I believe in Jesus. God sent Jesus. I believe in Jesus. <laughs> Remember, I'm always telling you, don't use the word believe, use the word trust. Do you trust in the one whom God has sent? The work of God, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, is to trust the one whom God has sent.
Oh, I trust you, Jesus, but <clears throat> I'm still carrying a big, a big, a big club. No, you know, trust God and and verify. I mean, that's I, all those people. You know, uh, God helps them who who help themselves. You know that kind of thing. That's nuts. No, no, to trust God, it is a lot of work. Your kids are are a wreck. <laughs> well, trust Jesus, but but but, well, do your best, but you got to trust God. You know, to believe is to trust. So we should that we should trust in the name of His Son. You know, uh, um, <laughs> and if you hear people, I said, "I'm going to make a million dollars. I'm going to win the lottery in the name of Jesus." That's not what this means. When you I, again, forgive me, I repeat myself. But if I come to you saying I come in the name of the Federal Bureau Bureau of Investigation, that means I come with the authority of the FBI. And if I don't have a badge and a warrant, pretty soon I'm going to get in real trouble. That's what it means. A name means authority in this context. We should trust in the authority of His Son and love one another just as He's commanded us. <sighs> Jesus has the right to command us and this is this is how we get what we need in life by by committing ourselves to please the father and to obey the commands of God which which Jesus has brought to us um so uh, the way we know that he remains in us, we can know that he remains in us from the spirit whom he gave us. Well, that clearly uh, uh, refers to uh, having had this experience or that experience. No, it doesn't. Let's let's look at it just as words. What is the word spirit? Again, I tell you a thousand times, it means breath. We know that he remains in us because we have the breath that he gave us. Beloved, don't trust every breath, but test the breaths to see whether they belong to God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can know the breath of God. Every breath that acknowledges Jesus, the Messiah, come in the flesh, belongs to God. And every breath that does not acknowledge Jesus does not belong to God. Now, this this word acknowledge, it's homologian, but it, it seems to be a Hebraicism, or a, I've seen that word said Hebraism, I like Hebraicism better, so I'll use Hebraicism, that it actually means to celebrate. When the Jews said to agree, the words homologate in Greek, uh, uh, um, whoever agrees uh, <clears throat> that Jesus, the Messiah, has come in the flesh, every spirit, every breath that celebrates Jesus, the Messiah, come in the flesh, if, if it is a Hebraicism, and every spirit that does not celebrate Jesus does not belong to God. You know, I I was with, I'll just say, a very dear friend this, this weekend. I was visiting the home of, ah, they were relatives and also dear friends. But it was so funny because, and I'm always telling you that that um, life should be a conversation with God. Well, this this cousin of mine, she really believes that. And she will walk around the house talking to the Lord. <laughs> And uh, it's it's kind of funny, but every breath that comes out of the woman is 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 a an acknowledgement, is a celebration that Jesus has really come in the flesh. Now this is just an aside. So many people like to say, "Well, Catholic Church is the Antichrist." Every morning, I go to the altar and I say, "This is my body. This is my blood." I certainly acknowledge that Jesus has come in the flesh and he remains in the flesh. I would say those people who do not acknowledge and celebrate the Eucharist, there are. Darn sight closer to being Antichrist than I am. 
you follow? This is a, a serious indictment. But l- let's let's talk about it uh, more generally. To talk, you have to breathe. Are the breaths that are coming out of your mouth a celebration of Jesus? Are they an enfleshment of Christ? Or are they full of your venom and my venom and anger? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. You know, if they are, I don't think they come from Christ. Are you breathing, are you breathing out Christ in your conversations, in your daily life? Um, and he, he, he goes on to say, you belong to God, children, and you conquer them for the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You know, there's another verse, of course, and I believe it's in the letter uh, of St. James. Human anger does not work the righteousness of God. We live in such angry times. And uh, again, on both sides of the argument, very few are breathing out Christ, uh, breathing out that human anger and thinking that by being angry, I will accomplish something. You're not going to accomplish anything with your anger. If you breathe Christ and are listening to Christ and striving to please the Father, He's saying here, you've conquered the world. You've conquered them. You're not the, the breath of the Antichrist, the anti-Messiah, who is to come, but it's already in the world. Uh, if you're not celebrating Jesus with every breath, instead you're just breathing out your own, or my own, I should I include myself in this bunch. Uh, if I'm just breathing out my anger about something, I, I don't. I won't conquer them, you know. If you and the, well, let's be practical. This is practical. It's a way of living as a Christian that radiates the power and confidence in the power in the name of of Christ in the authority of Christ. You know, we so worry about the situation in the world and in the church, and we forget that it's God's world and God's church. And we somehow think that that if I don't save it, it's not going to be saved. Well, guess what? It has already been saved by Jesus, the Son of Mary, the Son of the Father. Oh, I'd love to talk about uh, the gospel, but I've spoken so long about the first one. Remember, it's the gospel of the kingdom. All right, uh, let me just talk about this a little, just a little. What does it mean, the gospel of the king? The good news of the Basilea. Remember, I'm telling you, Basilea, when you see it, it means more than we mean by kingdom. For us, a kingdom is a political system or a geographical territory. It can mean those, but it means so much more. Its basic meaning is the royal nature of a king. You inherit kingship. You don't go to king school. You don't take lessons or a correspondence course in kingliness. No, the Basilea is is the royal nature that you inherit. Uh, and since we're adopted by God, we'll inherit his royal nature. So uh, Jesus was proclaiming the good news, the gospel. That's what Evangelion, the, the joyful pronouncement of God's royal nature. And you know what he's saying? I'm God in the flesh, and I'm in the building trades. I am not in the palace. I am not in the military barracks. I am not in the great university. I'm build. I'm in the building trades for a living, and that's what God is like. Our faith says that you want to get to know God, get to know a Jewish carpenter who died, uh, was born in a barn and died under arrest. That's what God is like. So the, Jesus came saying, the kingdom of God is, is at hand. 
in other words, when when I read that, I think that oh, the end of the times, the end of the world is near. That's not what it says. Oh, <laughs> there's t- oh, we'll talk about it in the word of the day. We'll take a break now. We'll go to letters, and I'll make repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'll make that the word of the day. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Yes, I want to see my Jesus shake his hand and have him greet us when they ring those doors. Amen. <laughs> All right. 888-914-9149. We'll open the phones now. And, uh, but before we go to phones, let us go to letters. All right. Um, let's see. This is, we went to Mass last weekend and our parish read the wrong gospel did I read this one? I don't know. I don't know. It was a purposeful mistake. It seems to have been a gospel from Gaudete Sunday or in some other cycle. My son was worried because we heard the... Your son was worried. Now nah, you've done a good job. Well, not worried, but you know that he was noticing that we heard the wrong gospel, that we didn't fulfill our Sunday obligation. Hey, keep that kid. He, he, he's, he sounds like a good one. All right. And this is, of course, from Emily. Um... Uh, Emily, uh, um, well, okay, uh, we assu- assured him that by attending Mass and participating to the best of our ability, we'd fulfilled our Sunday obligation, and that anything else in terms of the Mass, validly, validity, lasciety is not in our control. We're right to assure him. I think that's how you say uh, his licitness, lasciety. Yeah, well, that's how we used to say it. But yes, you're absolutely right. And I always figure when someone does the wrong reading, it's because maybe the Lord wants me to hear that particular reading. So, yes, you're absolutely right that the um, the Sunday obligation is fulfilled uh, by attending the uh, liturgy of the Eucharist. And the liturgy of the Word is, um, is of course, Im- part of Sunday obligation, but it isn't the, the constitutive part. Um, we were always taught, and I hesitate to say this, but that uh, if you missed the uh, first part of the Mass, that you were committing a venial sin if you didn't make it up. In other words, if you missed the the first part of the Mass, what was always told to us to avoid a venial sin, you should go to uh, stick around and hear the first part of the Mass at the next scheduled Mass. I, I You know, when I say that, I hesitate. Oh, so it's only a venial sin if you miss the... Yeah, yeah, that's a good sin, right? No, there's no such thing as good sin. That's the problem Catholics. We... We got venial sins and mortal sins. Mortal sins, you'll go to help. Venial sins, they're the good sins. No, they're all in, they're all offenses against the infinite majesty of God, and they're they're wrong. And and venial sins weaken, I really believe, weaken your ability to resist the devil and endanger you uh, to enter into more serious sin. However, uh, the 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 part of the mass necessary for our Sunday obligation is the uh, uh, 
the liturgy of the Eucharist, beginning with the offertory. We were, in fact, is they used to have a bell that they would ring when the chalice bell came off. And that was, you know, that was, if you weren't there by then, that you had to go, you had to go all over again. But that was the way we thought once upon a time and long ago and far away. I hope I haven't confused anyone. But yes, yes, if you if you did the wrong reading, you still fulfilled your uh, uh, obligation. All right, let's see. This is from an anonymous person. I chuckled when you said that at one funeral, their eulogies were longer than the Mass itself, which reminded you of something else. At our parish, the First Communion practice is longer than the First Communion Mass itself. It's been like this for every one of our children who have made their first communion uh, at this particular parish. You know, I don't want to encourage liturgical sloppiness, Lord knows, but we kind of do over-practice about some things. Uh, and this is a very, the liturgy is a very human action um, that... that um, like at wedding practices, for instance, I always say, if you can walk, you can do this. And uh, uh, sometimes people bring a wedding planner who really makes the ceremony ridiculous. Um, you don't want to do that. This is a very, the liturgy is an action where humanity meets divinity. And uh, it should be beautiful and it should be uh, well prepared, but on the other hand, it is, as I'm always telling you, not a stage performance. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that uh, I've, I've known clergy and have been clergy who are so uh, punctilious about this has got to happen now and then that the entire, the entire uh, liturgy becomes a kind of uh, choreography instead of an encounter between God and man. You, you do things uh, simply, and um, uh, it's the action of the Mass that you're going for, not the performance of the mask. Mass. And, of course, I always say that can be true in the Old Mass and in the New Mass. Uh, it's simply not a performance. And, uh, you know, if some kid doesn't know where they're going, Father can motion them up. You know, you practice. You don't want to make kids at First Communion so nervous about their performance that they forget that they're having an encounter with Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. That's what this is about. This is, this is, the emphasis shouldn't be on, okay, you turn here, you turn that precisely, then you go around there. It's like a football play. No, you want those kids to, to realize that, they're going to have an encounter with Christ. That's the important thing in the Eucharist, that they are coming to give their lives to Christ and to have him give his life to them instead of making sure that uh, they don't kill over when it's their turn to read. Um, you know, we can overdo the practice. So I thought that was pretty good. Anonymous. All right, let's see. Let me look at the timer. Oh, we're doing fine. Uh, let me see here. This is one. Um, okay. Could you explain how Jesus describes John the Baptist as the greatest among those born of women in the light of our belief that Mary is the greatest human born into the kingdom? Now, <clears throat> again, I'm going to beat the, the topic up again about the meaning of the word kingdom. The word in Greek is basilia. It means the royal nature. And 
the least born into the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Because you see, and that's me and you. I, by the baptism, I'm born into God's royal nature. Um, how can I possibly be greater than John the Baptist? I'm a devout coward. I know something that John didn't know. I've seen the cross, and so have you. John didn't know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son on the wood of the cross, on the altar of Calvary. And you see, our Blessed Mother, by her immaculate conception, from the moment of her conception, was born in God's royal nature, like Adam and Eve had been. They, they, you know, the, the Gospel of Luke calls Adam the Son of God. Now, not the Son of God, we believe in the same way that Jesus was the Son of God, but humanity was designed to partake in God's royal royalness, his, his royal nature, his, his, his very being. And that's our destiny. So uh, the idea that, that uh, John the Baptist uh, <clears throat> is the greatest, yet not as great as the Blessed Mother. John the Baptist isn't as great as me. What? In that regard, John the Baptist is much, much greater than me in every other regard. You follow what I mean? You're greater than John the Baptist if you've accepted the grace uh, of baptism and conversion. So um, that's kind of bold to say, but well, Jesus said it first. Uh, and, uh, Blessed Mother is the, the is, is is from the moment of her conception, we believe, shared in God's royal nature. All right, we are going to go to uh, another break. Uh, say that again. Who? Where? Who? What? What voice in? Oh, the voice in my head is saying, okay. Well, and remember that the uh, the phone number, do call in. Uh, try to stump the Reverend Know-It-All, which is far easier than you'd imagine. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We will come back with a word of the day. And I'll take your phone calls. Today's programming is sponsored in part by St. Gregory Recovery Center. More information about their Catholic-centered recovery from substance abuse is available at relevantradio.com slash sdgregory. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Forest to uh. the Gulf Stream water. Reminding him of my, of my hippie youth, <laughs> Woody Guthrie. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> well, from this, let us march on to the word of the day. I was going to do another word today, but I can't resist this because I didn't get to talk about the gospel. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if you think the kingdom of heaven means heaven when you die, or the second coming of Christ, and you think at hand uh, is is uh, meaning it's it's about to happen, well, Jesus clearly was mistaken. But I don't think that's what he meant at all. He said, repent. So our word of the day is going to be repent, metanoia. Now, metanoia is a fascinating word. Now, again, it's been a while since I shared this story with you, but... I had a wonderful experience of repentance when my sister died of lung cancer. I had a sister who died many years ago. She was in her mid to late 40s, and her children were mostly grown. She did have a daughter who wasn't, uh, who was still a teenager, but um, 
she contracted lung cancer. She was devout and a very committed, one of the first pro-life people I knew. She was, As soon as Roe v. Wade happened, she was on board struggling uh, against the, the crime of abortion. And um, admirable woman. Five kids, loved the Lord, and really did her best uh, to live the gospel life. But she'd been smoking since she was a kid, and she smoked between one and two packs a day. And, of course, eventually she contracted lung cancer. And uh, um, I went out to say her funeral. She lived in California, and I went out to, to offer a funeral mass for her, and I came back. And I didn't smoke cigarettes because for two reasons. I have a, a, a weak, I really do have a weak throat. Um, I'm always, <clears throat> that kind of thing, sinusy sort of thing. Um, uh, but... Uh, more than that, I was cheap. <laughs> so in college, I only smoked cigarettes I could bum. Uh, but I did get into the habit of smoking large, stinking cigars because, well, cigars can't hurt you. Yeah, right. Uh, cigars will kill you quicker than cigarettes if you smoke them right. Well, all that said, I, I did, out of respect for her grieving husband and, and uh, the kids, I, I didn't smoke while I was out there. But I got back to my rectory in Chicago and sat down on my big old overstuffed, broken-down chair, and I picked up a cigar and a match, and I looked at the cigar, and I looked at the match, and I thought, this is stupid to pay someone for <laughs> for a slow, lingering, painful death. This is stupid. And I put the match down, I put the cigar down, never smoked again. And that was, oh gosh, that was more than 40 years ago, I think. Um, uh, oh, what willpower you have. Have you... I've never met a lasagna I didn't love. I mean, <laughs> I have no willpower to speak of, but I had the grace of repentance. For one moment, I was able to see that cigar the way God saw it, as a stupid thing. And I said, okay, that's what repent means. The word in Greek, metanoia, literally means have a new understanding. Well, that's easy to just see things the way God sees them. No, it's not. You know, let's let's continue with the smoking motif. If you're a smoker and you smoke, what do you do after dinner? What do you do while you're waiting for something to happen? How do you have a conversation with someone? Smoking becomes not simply something you do. It becomes someone you are. Pick a vice. I gamble. I go to the gambling boats. I lose my entire check and my family's starving. Now, I'm not saying that a little recreational game is not a, a decent thing, but uh, it is not um, um, to, to, to waste your substance and your family's uh, uh, well-being on a game of chance. That is sinful. So... Um, uh, but that's what I do on Friday night. I go to the gambling boats. It's what I do. It's who I am. You see the, the thing that, that I, I, it sounds easy to say, well, to repent is just to, uh, um, uh, is just to see things the way God sees them. It's not that easy because I want to be me. And God says, no, I want you to be me. <laughs> That's exactly what's going on in our spiritual life. God wants to adopt us. In order to do that, he's got to make us look like Jesus. But I, I, I want to be me. I want, I want to go to heaven. Trust me, you're not going to, going to heaven. The you who God will make you, if you allow him to do so, will go to heaven. You follow what I mean? 
uh, uh, God will forgive my sins. God will forgive any sin, but he's not going to let me stay in that moral gutter there that I call home. You know, he, he wants to change me. He wants to rebuild me in the image and likeness of Christ. So repent, have that mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And then the, the next one, because God's royal nature has drawn near. That's what, that's what, it's a verb, isn't at hand. It, I think it's in Gidze, I should look it up. But it, it means it has drawn near. Uh, where Jesus is, there's God's royal nature. And as I said earlier, he was in the building trades for 18 years. God's nature is is a, a contract. It's a, he's a builder. You know, he's in the building trades. He built the universe, and then he built tables and chairs in Nazareth. Um, you know, that that this idea of, well, the kingdom of God, we all know what God's real nature is like. It's the important people and the big people in, in the temple and, you know, the high priest and, and, and the Sadducees and, of course, Herod's family and, you know, the mockers, as we say in, in Yiddish, that... That the, the great of the world, oh, no, no, it's the small of the world who are really important. The small, the little people in the world who God thinks is important. No, that's real. Well, change your mind. Allow God's Holy Spirit to change your mind so that you can look at every human being as being beloved by God and not just the special people or people who agree with you or, or people who, who have power in this world or people who look rather sanctimonious. No, that, that, look at Jesus. You want to see the model for holiness? Look at Jesus. He's the visible image of the invisible God. So allow God to change your mind even about what God looks like. That's what he's saying. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It says, let God's Holy Spirit change your mind because God's royal nature is very near to you, not far away. All right, let us go to phone calls. 888-914-9149. is ringing. Who have we got on the phone, monsieur? Carol. Carol from West where? Westville, one word. Oh, they're Westville. Too, they're what? not very creative in the country. Meh. <laughs> nah, nah, it's Indiana easy to find. Westville. It's a normal place. Oh, that's Michigan City. Oh, you get a lot of City snow. Is, is, uh, we got four to five, no, four to four or five inches, I think. And today it's only in uh. the 20s. Um, oh, my dog oh, likes yeah, it. I would, yeah, dog, dogs, well, they're wearing fur coats. What are you going to do? So, yes, well, what can exactly. I do for you? Yeah. Well, I, I have a question again about repentance. That was a wonderful, sure. and by the way, thank you for taking the call. And thank you for the, all the lead-ins, because I could relate to everything. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. No, I'm, I'm coming back after decades <laughs> of being away. So, um, oh, welcome home. The lives, the lives, thank you, thank you. I'm reading Lives of the Saints, and the, ah. section, the one I'm reading is St. Teresa of Avila, and it says, oh my. A vision showed her the very place in hell to which her own light faults would have led her, and she yes. lives ever after in the deepest distress herself. Okay, what are the light faults? Is that venial sins? That scared the day no, out no, of me when I read no, that. I, I don't think it's venial sins. I think it's... Oh, it's all right. Everybody does it. You know, everybody, everybody uh, in our age, of course, everybody fools around. <laughs> everybody does this. Everybody does that. Uh, just because everybody doesn't does it doesn't mean it's all right to do it. 
you follow. I, I would say there's some things that everybody does, like the little white lie that's of Engelson that's not going to send you to hell. But everybody does it, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, sleeps around. And in this day and age, that's true. I mean, you know, the, you can't turn on a television show without seeing an immoral premise, you know, that, that uh, most television shows revolve around, um, well, I, I don't know how else to put it, extramarital sex. <laughs> and uh, it's just an assumption. Well, everybody does it. Those are light faults. Does that help? Well, I avoid that because I have no TV. So possibly it could be reading, reading weird books. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not thinking that the seeing the TV is the light fault. I'm thinking this kind of being assured by television that, that, that this is all right to do. I'm thinking of one particular show okay. that I don't want to mention, but the whole premise is, is uh, uh, a beautiful girl living across from three scientists. It's a delightful show, except the, the premise is immoral. And when you when you yeah. raise kids in a world that says the premise is Im uh, this this is not immoral it's normal, yes. Yeah, so is death in the common cold. Uh, that's normal too, but but mm. the light faults are the things that we just sort of write off as being normal that are great offenses against uh, the heart of God. Uh, so, but so, if she didn't uh, correct one, those faults, she would have landed in hell because of all these little light faults that that sort well, of if she had if she had well, it isn't you know, a thousand venial sins don't equal one mortal sin, but the problem is when we take God's grace for granted. You know that that, for instance, Saul. So I love the story of Saul and Samuel. How Saul lost the the the, the crown. David was a much worse man than Saul, but Saul lost the crown of Israel because David was a man who could repent. When the prophets would come up to him and say, "You've sinned," he'd say, "You're right," and he would repent. Whereas Saul said, oh, can't we cover it up? You know, that, that was Saul. And uh, so uh, he lost the crown for that. So often we think uh, that that um, if we can kind of uh, just kind of gloss over this, and there's some very severely morally wrong things that we, we allow to go on. So it isn't watching the show that's immoral, although it could be a, a, an occasion of sin for some people. It's it's this constant believing, oh, I guess it's all right to, to sleep around. I guess it's all right to do that kind of thing because, well, they do it on television. Those are light faults. In other words, we think they're light. We make light of them, and they're not light. So I hope that helps a little. God bless, and welcome welcome back home. So I'll be praying for you. God bless. Who we got now, dear voice in my head? John from the Bay Area. Are you with us, John? What can I do for you? Yes, Father, thank you. I got in, uh, I got told yesterday by my son who uh, joined a, an evangelical Protestant church mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that I can't say the name of the devil anymore to him or he won't talk to me. Well, then don't say what the name of the devil mean, to him Father? anymore. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> I... I have you? Did you ask him when is it that I say the name of the devil? Do you have the habit of of calling on Lucifer? You know, that, you know, uh, I doubt that you do. But uh, that was my first thought. Yeah. Well, what I would say to him is, um, I, I would quote today's uh, today's gospel or today's first reading. Uh, you can tell him, don't you know that in the third chapter of, or rather the fourth chapter of. Uh, 
John, let me see. Where is it? Let me see. Uh, uh, you belong to God, for the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Let me pull up that exact verse for you, and then you can quote that to him. Hold on. I'm going to pull up that exact verse. Okay. And enter and quote 1 John 4, 4. And he said, you know, this thing about mentioning the devil's name, have you not read 1 John 4, 4? He'll be impressed that you know a Bible verse. Dear children, you're from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. That that you needn't be excessively afraid of the enemy. You need to avoid the the enemy, but... But you don't have to. You don't have to live in fear because Christ has conquered the devil. So that's what I would tell him. So, and if he has any questions, have him give me a call here. I, I'd love to talk to him. Why not? Does that help? Well, good, good, good. I really and feel uh, to me. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's that's the that's that's the problem. So often these these uh, small sect churches want to control people by getting them away from their families. And, uh, you know, do your best to be there for him. Even if he won't talk to you, you keep talking to him, uh, you know. And I wouldn't harangue him about the faith. I would just harangue him. Or I wouldn't even harangue him at all. I would just let him know you love him. All right, I'll be praying for you and for him. That's, that sounds like there's somebody who really wants to control him, and that's, that's worrisome. All right, who have we got now, dear voice in my head? Anne-Marie from Woburn, Massachusetts. What can I do for you, Anne-Marie? Yes, I have two questions, and the first one is, um, was Jesus' birth miraculous or supernatural, or was it a birth like humans where it was biological and natural? Well, his conception was most certainly supernatural. He was conceived uh, in a virgin's womb. He was not conceived the way that most of us are conceived. Now, there is a verse in the text of Scripture which says uh, it is through uh, in the book of Genesis that your pains in childbirth will be increased uh, because of your sin, he, God says to Eve. And um, it doesn't say that she would not have had pains before she had fallen uh, into sin, but the pains would be increased. Now, people take that and say that one of the effects of the Immaculate Conception is that the, the birth of our Blessed Mother would be miraculous, and also that, that somehow birth violates virginity. And that's a very, to me, that's ridiculous. That's a very crude uh, understanding of physical virginity, uh, that, that uh, a medical procedure, that sort of thing, does not violate virginity. But more significantly is the argument that, well, the pain of childbirth had to do with um, um, original sin. Thus, Mary would not have experienced pain in childbirth. Our Blessed Mother did not have to experience pain. She did. She chose to experience pain in union with her beloved son. A sword pier would pierce her heart. Now, not a literal physical sword. But I believe that just as Jesus suffered the pain of Calvary and suffered pain in his life, because the scripture says he was like us in all things but sin. If you view childbirth as sin, well, that's one thing. I do not view childbirth as sin, and I think it's ridiculous to do so, nor do I view it as a violation of virginity. But some of the early fathers of the church would have said, yes, yes that Jesus just sort of appeared 
I I don't I wasn't there. I don't know. But I, I don't think that it is necessary to believe that. Uh, I, it certainly is not a dogma or a doctrine of the faith. So he was like us in all things but sin. It makes me think he would have been born in the way that you and I are born. So does that help? Oh, so he was born natural. He wasn't born That's, natural. Again, I don't know. I wasn't there. But I would oh, have I no know. problem... I would have no problem thinking he was born in the same way that you and I are born because he was like us in all things but sin. That's what the oh, Bible says. He was like okay. us in all I'm things sorry. except for sin. So uh, oh. there you go. He was he was oh, conceived no. miraculously, but I, I don't right. think that that excludes the possibility he was born naturally. So does that help? Oh. It, it helps immensely, but I just got one more. Can I ask you the oh, second sure. one? Oh, sure. Sure, why not? Uh, the, the second one is that um, today you said John the Baptist wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. No, no, and, not John and, the Baptist. No, John the Beloved no. Disciple did. John the, John the Beloved Disciple was a follower of John the Baptist before he was a follower of Jesus. Okay, Um but, and and then regular John in the gospel was by John the Beloved. Yes, yes. I believe that the gospel of John, John 1, 2, and 3, and the Apocalypse were written by John the Beloved Disciple, who was also John the Apostle, one of the twelve. Oh, okay. I was just waking up when I heard that, so I'm not <laughs> all here. <laughs> it can be a little abrupt. <laughs> Yes, you have to pay close attention to me because, well, I often get things wrong. <laughs> All right. No, I don't well, think I'm speaking before your program, not after, not once you went Oh, all right. Oh, you didn't. Oh, good. Oh, good. You didn't fall asleep during the program. I'll have to yell into the microphone more to keep people awake. Just kidding. Well, nice to talk to you. God bless you. And thanks for listening. Who have we got now, dear voice in my head? Doug from Wilmar, Minnesota. What can I do for you? Oh, hi, Father Simon. Thanks for taking my call. <clears throat> Just had a kind of a historical timeline question. Sure. Um, after Jesus' birth, uh, yes. the wise men asked, uh, informed them that they must uh, go and escape the area and go, uh, because of Herod's mm -hmm. rule, to slay the males. Yeah. But yet uh, he, he had to also, according to the Law of Moses, uh, go to a presentation, mm -hmm. and he did that in Jerusalem. Yes. And so I was kind of wondering what the timeline was there. There isn't there. The, the Gospels don't necessarily give us an historical timeline. Uh, he would the the wise man. He certainly was presented in the temple, and that would have been probably. I think I'd have to look at the particular thing, but that sounds like within within forty days after his birth, and then reasonably. Uh, uh, the Magi would have come later. But the the timeline, the scriptures were written to emphasize certain things, not simply to provide an historical timeline. The, the historical timeline was well known to people, but the Gospels presented things in order to emphasize a theological point. This is a good thing. I hope I remember to talk about it tomorrow because it's a very good question. Speaking of very good things, Drew is coming up. Don't go anywhere.